Welcome to the Women's Utilities Network, One for All podcast, our corner of the world where we'll be talking all things energy, water, sharing personal stories and debating female issues. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest Women's Utility Network, One for All podcast. Today, we will be discussing UK energy market design to support the net zero transition. I am Karen Hosking, Industry Advocate at One, and I'm pleased to be joined by Madeline Brook, Policy and Regulation Researcher, covering flexibility, network charging and market design at Octopus Energy. Today, we will be discussing all things net zero and how changes to the UK energy network are evolving to support a distribution network that is fit for the future. Thank you so much for talking to One today, Maddie. Please, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey to date and your current role at Octopus? Firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's really exciting to be here. So I started my career journey on EDF Energy's Commercial Graduate Scheme. And I guess I was drawn to the energy sector as I was always quite interested and passionate about protecting the environment. And I wanted to work in an industry where I felt like I could be making a difference to reduce the UK's carbon emissions. So I did a number of different roles on the graduate scheme at EDF, but then moved into the renewables part of the business permanently, where I worked valuing the financials for prospective new solar and battery storage projects. I then made a shift over to the internal policy team, as I think I saw this as the area where I could have more impact in trying to drive the strategic direction of the industry and the power sector more broadly. So here I focused mainly on planning policy, grid and network issues, and a little bit around biodiversity. I then made the move to Octopus Energy, where I am currently, which is also in a policy and regulation-based role, as you've mentioned, but now I'm focusing on a slightly different range of topics. So I'm now looking at market design, the charges that we pay for use of the networks and flexibility. So flexibility being the technologies and behavior change, which can either shift our demand for electricity or store electricity when there is generation surplus and export it back to the grid when needed. I think with all of these topics at a more strategic level, I'm looking at what may need to change to ensure that we can cost effectively and efficiently get to net zero by 2050 and decarbonize the power sector by 2035. I guess I may be biased, but I think it's a really exciting time to be part of the industry as there are big challenges to overcome, but also that brings really exciting new opportunities too. Absolutely agree with that. A great place to be at the moment. So as we head into net zero week 2022, the UK is currently facing the biggest challenges with UK business and residential supply seeking to meet net zero targets in the shadow of the biggest energy crisis within many of our lifetimes. To remind our listeners, the net zero target level is to achieve no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius increase in the warming of our planet. Decarbonisation of the UK power sector will of course involve building more low carbon generation, But I'm interested to know what the key barriers currently preventing rapid progression to meeting this target. Today, Madeline and I will be speaking about her current role at Octopus 
and how that is supporting ongoing development of the UK grid towards net zero. So I've got a few questions to ask you, if I may, Madeline. So the first one um, I have is, could you outline some of the key barriers currently preventing rapid progression to meeting our decarbonisation target? And uh, can you give a little bit of more information about the enablers that we need to unlock to achieve this? Sure. Oh, where where to start? Um, so I think probably the most obvious and kind of well-known challenge that you touched on there, Karen, is just the sheer volume of low carbon generation that we need to build and connect to the grid in the coming de- decade and beyond to get us to net zero. So whilst we've seen huge increases in offshore wind capacity, for example, and government commitments to increase nuclear capacity on the system, I think it's really important that we have a diverse mix of technologies in the future, both to ensure resilience and energy security, and therefore think there could probably be a bit more of a balanced level of support for different technologies that we need to invest in. So one area that I'm particularly passionate about and that Octopus Energy is doing a lot of really interesting work exploring and advocating for is around support for demand side response. So this is when Energy users are rewarded for turning down or turning up demand to help balance the supply and demand. Another key area is increasing the generation capacity of storage on the system. And this will become increasingly important as we build more intermittent generation, which is not controllable. So I think along with the increase in generation, there will also be significant increases in total demand as a whole in the future. And this will largely be driven by the decarbonisation of heat and transport. So the uptake of electric vehicles and hopefully heat pumps too. So with this increase in demand and the need for new generation on the system, I think having enough grid infrastructure to actually transport the power across the country is a really essential enabler. And whilst it's wholly necessary that we invest in upgrading network infrastructure on a large scale, This will come at a significant cost and therefore to keep the cost of the transition as low as possible for consumers. I think it's important that we use the current infrastructure that we have in place as efficiently as possible and use and make the most of flexible technologies to defer the need for network reinforcement where it's possible to do so. The final one, and then I will stop because I could probably go on all day, is that digitalization of the sector as a whole is also needed to ensure developers have transparent information about where they should locate new generation and storage investments, but also so that network operators have a better understanding of their own networks and can prioritize upgrades to infrastructure based on accurate data, which is available for all users readily. So definitely haven't touched on all of the barriers and opportunities, but those are just a few that are probably closer to my heart. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think we could certainly be here all day and discuss everything that that we need, uh, that is needed. And uh, we'll cover as much as we can on the podcast today for the one listeners. So uh, thank you so much for covering that off. So my second question, what are the big differences in the power sector of the future versus today's power sector and what needs to change to enable effective operations as you know as we look towards uh, that uh, elusive net zero target so i think probably common knowledge that the power sector is undergoing kind of radical transformation as it's decarbonizing but i just want to touch on i guess a few kind of key differences between where we were or are um, and where we're heading. 
So I think starting with where we were, historically, the power system has been made up of a few very large generators with one-way power flows down to end users, which have fairly predictable demand patterns. So as all coming home at the same time, turning on the kettle. But we're increasingly moving towards a system made up of hundreds of thousands of generation assets, both at a large scale, but also a very small scale, and where customers too are generating electricity. So this means that there will now be power flows in the opposite direction to manage as well. This is also then combined with new demand for electricity that I briefly mentioned, such as charging vehicles and heating homes, which varies the typical demand profiles of consumption. So hopefully that gives a brief overview of how different the system that we're heading towards is compared to the one that we have today. And it's worth noting that a lot of the markets and regulation that we have in place was designed for the system, um, you know, where there were a few large generators rather than the system that we're heading for. So that's probably a reason that we should review the current system that we have in place and look to see if there are any changes to help us get to that net zero future. Therefore, I think it's really important and we take a bit of a step back to review whether the current market design and arrangements are the right tools to enable this decarbonize, decentralize and digitalized system to develop at least costs to consumers. Therefore, I was really pleased to see the announcement in the government's energy security strategy to undertake a comprehensive review of electricity market arrangements. Um, and that review has been named REMA. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Madeline. And um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what the outcome of those government reviews will be and uh, um, what journey that puts us all on uh, who work in the sector. So thank you so much for that. Um, while we're there, I mean, it might be worth going through who are the key players that need to be involved in any changes in UK market design and, um, and kind of briefly touch on uh, the challenges that this may present, but maybe not only the challenges, but maybe am I fair to say there's a certain amount of opportunity for uh, certainly our employers, but also uh, businesses across the UK? You know, what, what, What's your view on that? I certainly think that it brings about a lot of opportunities, but I'll yeah, get onto that. So I guess firstly, I should just point out that this review is being led by BASE, which is the Government Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. So ultimately, they will have the final say in setting out any proposals for how markets will be reformed if the review concludes that reforms needed. It's then important, I think, that BASE engages a really wide range of stakeholders, as any changes to market arrangements will, of course, um, have huge impacts on a really broad range of companies. So I guess just to list a few that I can readily think of, um, it's important that kind of suppliers, generators, network operators, I think we've touched on all of those already, are involved, but also trade associations and the regulator so Ofgem definitely needs to be part of those conversations so I'm sure that isn't the full list there but those are some of the key key players I do think that it will be really interesting to lean on examples from other sectors though and those that have faced similar challenges and developed kind of innovative solutions to overcome them for example there may be some good examples in the 
banking sector for how they have digitalized so we could lean on examples and other sectors and bring those learnings to make sure that we build on work that's already done and yeah do it better I guess. <laughs> One of the key challenges however I think is that this could lead to conclusions for very transformational change which of course is really exciting and as you said with that will bring a lot of opportunities both in terms of employment um, but also just new barriers to look at and new um, yeah new opportunities in the sector I think this will lead to a much more efficient system but with that there do, there do come challenges in terms of delivery so I think it's evident that we don't really have time to waste in this space um, and therefore we must ensure that any new proposals don't result in the slowing down of investment in renewables for example I think a project like this is likely to involve or is likely to take a number of years with the consultation phases and stakeholder engagement that will be required and therefore we need to press on with I guess no regret investment and actions in the short term to ensure we continue driving forward progress whilst this consultation and wider market reform is ongoing. So you've touched on it there, Madeline. I mean, the market design of the grid seems like it's going to take years. And I think we can all see the infrastructure around us has been around, you know, for as long as I can remember uh, in regards to transportation, uh, the transportation of electricity, for example, to our to our homes, um, with the pylons that kind of cross crisscross the country. Um, what are the current opportunities we could continue to grasp to encourage progress in this in the short term you you mentioned uh, that that there could be some uh, kind of short-term gains that we could look at market design so it'd be good to understand that a little bit more yeah so I think at the moment we have a system particularly in the wholesale market we have one kind of uniform price for all generation across the country and Potentially, one thing that the REMA project is looking at is whether that is definitely the most effective market design for the future. And I think some of the challenges that that presents at the moment is that we have kind of increasing constraint costs across the country because we don't necessarily have the infrastructure to transport power um, where it's typically generated down to demand So I think one of the real opportunities by reviewing these wider market arrangements is the potential to reduce balancing costs on the whole system. But also, I mentioned beforehand that we don't necessarily have the strong market and pricing signals to give confidence to investors for storage technologies, but also to increase the opportunity for demand side response so I think those are probably two key areas that this review will hopefully address and could bring about some really positive change in terms of the investment we see and where developers choose to locate projects. Absolutely and especially in my day job I'm seeing that there's so much development going on across the UK in the renewable sector and that's really exciting to see that that's going to bring real change Uh, in regards to market design and um, certainly I know that there is a real desire for um, 
for businesses to take energy from uh, generation assets that are possibly near to their premises. So maybe we're already seeing that um, coming to fruition, but it'd be interesting to see what uh, what action that, that report brings. So thank you so much for that. Um, I think I thought it would actually be quite good, um, if I may, because obviously you've mentioned your your previous roles at, um, within EDF Renewables, just to touch on uh, the current opportunities there are on the onshore in, in the onshore renewable sector. Um, so my question to you um, would be um, how we could encourage greater development to support government design policy to encourage the production of green energy on our systems. So if you could uh, maybe just cover off how... Uh, you know how how that could be supported to um to to just make the en- the energy that we receive at home just that little bit more greener if that's the term is is the right term to use. <laughs> sure. So I guess firstly, I think there have been some really positive recent developments which will allow some types of renewable generation to get built faster. So, for instance, within the energy security strategy, there was a commitment from government to establish a fast-track consenting route for offshore wind, which is obviously a really positive conclusion. Although there wasn't quite the same support for onshore wind, for example, where current planning policy makes it very difficult to build any new projects. So as I said earlier, I think we need to invest in pretty much every generation technology available to us where the costs are reasonable. And I therefore think reviewing the current planning policy for onshore wind would be a really helpful step in the right direction. In terms of encouraging investment, I think this one's probably a little more nuanced and probably divisive across the sector. Building on one of my earlier points, I think it's important that we have the right investment signals to encourage developers to build assets where there's capacity on the grid. And the REMA project is due to be looking at the locational value of generation in more detail. In terms of revenue support, I think it's really important that we continue to have mechanisms in place to support new and fairly immature technologies, which often have quite high upfront costs. And instruments like the Contract for Difference are a great tool here, which has allowed new technologies a guaranteed revenue stream for a certain period of time, um, often covering kind of almost half of the project's lifetime. I think these tools are needed to help lower the cost of capital for new technologies and bring new investment in where the business models aren't yet proven. I do, however, think there probably needs to be a bit more of an open conversation and review about whether the same instruments are the best mechanisms of support for more mature technologies as Whilst there have been huge benefits from the contract for difference, for instance, there are also some negative impacts, such as completely shielding generators from the wholesale market price, which can result in kind of other costs in different parts of the market. So I think it's just important that, yeah, we we have a wider review of kind of what tools and what instruments are the right ones for dependent on the maturity of each technology. Thank you so much, Madeline. And um, I know I've certainly learned so much about um, the kind of future projects that are going on. And it's so interesting to hear about your uh, your role in that octopus and the, uh, and the market designer role that you're doing. So um, yeah, really, really, really great. So um, reached my last question actually today. Um, 
it would be good to hear, if I may, what you do at home with your own energy demand. Um, I know, and I think we've mentioned, we used to consider peak times. This used to be from five o'clock when everyone came home from work, popped the kettle on. But what tips would you give to people if they're keen to um, reduce their carbon emissions now and 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 help the grid um, as it stands at the moment? So I guess, firstly, personally, I am still kind of renting. So, so I can't install a EV charge point or heat pump. However, there are still things that I'm able to do. And hopefully this could appeal to quite a wide range of your listeners that aren't able to kind of afford those uh, low carbon technologies as of yet. So I think one thing that anyone can do is to try and reduce or shift their demand out of kind of typical peak periods where, where it's possible. So the big peak in the UK tends to fall around 5 to 8 p.m., where many people get home, turn the kettle on, start to cook dinner, as you said. And given we're moving to a system where there will be more intermittent generation, so generation only producing electricity at certain times of the day, for example, when it's sunny or windy, it often means that it is these peak periods where we have to turn on gas generators to meet demand. And therefore, total electricity production in these periods tends to have higher carbon emissions than at other points of the day when there's a surplus of renewable generation. So therefore, where possible, we can try and take actions to small actions, such as putting the dishwasher on a little later or putting a wash on, a laundry wash on when you leave for work instead of when you get back. However, it is worth noting that not all consumers are settled on a half hourly basis at present. So while shifting your demand may be helping to reduce total emissions, which is hopefully a driver for some people anyway. You may not necessarily be rewarded for this at present due to the type of tariff or settlement period that you have. That being said, we will have mandatory half hourly settlement by 2025. So that will change. And therefore, I think there's probably no harm in trying to get into these little habits in anticipation of what's to come in the future. Absolutely. And if you've got a smart meter at home, you'll definitely see the uh, difference that will make. You'll see see the the, the different colours going across it. I know uh, most of the time I look at it, it's red, Maddie, I'll be honest. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not doing too well in my house, but there are times where we might uh, might not have the kettle boiling while we've got the washing machine on or something like that. So uh, <laughs> thank you. I shall try better <laughs> and a bit harder. Lovely stuff. So, Thank you so much for giving your time today to speak to one and our um, and our listeners. And um, really, I think for um, how I'd like to close things is what advice would you give anyone considering a move into the energy industry? So um, you've touched on what attracted you, but, um, you know, what? How, how did you, if you haven't gone down the graduate route, do you, do you think there's another way you could have done it? So I think I'd firstly say that, yeah, it's a really exciting time to be in the energy sector. So I definitely recommend that people take that first step or leap into the industry. Secondly, I think there are so many different ways to learn about the industry, I guess, outside of your day job, even if you're in a different sector. So therefore trying to keep in touch with what's going on more broadly is really helpful. There are numerous kind of free talks and webinars that are available to kind of watch live or on demand to help you broaden this knowledge base. Um, And I think in terms of trying to move into the sector, 
generally people are really happy to take time out to explain what they do, give you an overview. So don't kind of hesitate to reach out through LinkedIn, for instance, to ask questions. And this will really help to build up that network in the industry. I think having a network to start with, you know, you can continue to build and grow that with time and kind of more opportunities will arise as a result. Yeah, I guess (laughs) I've been in the industry, I think just under five years now, but it's safe to say that I'm still learning something new pretty much (laughs) every day on the job. So I guess don't be afraid to ask questions and stay in tune with kind of what's going on. Absolutely echo that myself. I've been here, well, been at EDF since 2005. So uh, always something to learn and you, it's an ever-changing industry, which is always very, very exciting. So uh, kind of echo. Absolutely. You've got it right there. So um, I think we've we've kind of covered, I was going to ask where where anyone who who was interested in what we discussed um, could go to learn more. But I think with um, Net Zero Week coming on LinkedIn, there's going to be absolutely loads of webinars and talks and, um, you know, content on LinkedIn that you could look at and follow. So um, is there there anything in particular anyone should look out for with Net Zero Week coming, do you think? More broadly, I think... I tend to try and listen to podcasts to learn more. You know, this one is a really great example of that, but there are loads of other podcasts. I'm sure they probably will have features for Net Zero Week. Um, Some of my favourites, I guess, are Modo Energy's podcast, the Substation podcast, which is quite kind of technical and geeky, but great, (laughs) and Inside the Energy Transition. So, that's quite an easy and digestible way to learn more. Otherwise, I would say go and read the government strategies and consultations, but that's probably <laughs> a bit too much detail and not everyone has eight hours to sit and read those. Well, it's always good if you want the deep dive into everything. But, uh, <laughs> thank you again so much, Madeline. This would be my first podcast for one. So thank you so much for your support to the network um, in recording this for us. And uh, yeah, I'd like to wish our listeners a, um, you know, whenever you're listening to this, be it uh, afternoon, evening or morning, a, a great rest of your day. So thank you, Madeline. And uh, thank you to everyone that's uh, listened to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you.